if you're a young white male from a low socioeconomic background, you've almost got no hope. Interviewing is speed dating. You're choosing to spend all of your life with someone based on our interview. It took me like a good six, seven years to propose to my wife. One thing is that the world is not fair and never will be. And we all start from different points. Advice for someone interviewing that doesn't know someone before. This person I'd reconnected with, um, the one I mentioned is CFO. He is speaking at a conference in June and he and I just got on like this conversation about DEI and like, you know, I just kind of put it out there and he's like, you know what, you should come speak at this conference. So he introduced me to the person that's running it. So we'll see if they invite me, but he recommended that I join and participate. I love that. Congrats. What's the, um, what's the conference? Great question. It's called Quartz Events. Amazing. Is that in um, is that New York or? It's in Las Vegas. Oh, I'm coming. I'll be your cameraman so you can get the video content for more content about your your talk on LinkedIn, right? Amazing. It's Connect CFO Leadership Summit. So we'll see if um, they officially invite me. But, you know, he and I were talking and he said something because he was like, you know, not skeptical, but as people are, right? Skeptical about the DEI conversation. And it's like really unraveling that and saying like, it's really not about, because he's like, you know, you and I are both like super, you know, includes like look at like look at us like we're so inclusive i'm like it's not about you and i of course we are but it's about the institution it's about you know the idea of what your hiring practices are and you need to have some is in the u.s especially like there's a historical context behind every decision an institution has made and you have to start peeling it back a little bit otherwise like you can change these little things but they're never going to really um solve bigger issues and he was he made, he said an example and i said the reason that you were able to give me an example is because someone was in the room to represent he's like oh my gosh like you need the representation in the room i was talking to someone yesterday who's on a board of all men and they were talking about hiring and they said uh like when he, they're hiring a you know c-level person and they said when he gets here and she said when he or she gets here and they were all just stumped and it's like they were all just nodding their heads and then just having the represent representation in the room was like, oh yeah, it's just those little things. Like it's not yeah. this big sea change that, you know, that, that needs to happen. So he and I were talking about that and he was, you know, like, oh, I this is the conversation that we need to be having, you know? Yeah. No, no, it's important. The other side to the coin is that, um, is that the most, uh, what's the right word? Not the most underrepresented, but the most. Uh, so I can't remember my word is for it. The most like challenging part of society, let's say, to be in is a, if you're a young white male from a low socioeconomic background, um, you've almost got no hope. Certainly, certainly over here, because um, because like you're from like most people in the low socioeconomic background. Um, typically don't go to further education yeah. a lot of the time they're from like broken homes and stuff like that and um, they don't really have any role models they hardly have any opportunity everyone tells them they're privileged but they have none mm -hmm. um, they get passed over for job opportunities and it's mm -hmm. the most disenfranchised that's the right word it's the most disenfranchised part of society right now and, and there's a big danger in losing those people mm -hmm. really it's quite quite it's crazy like I speak, it's been quite a few here like 
but these kids are like kind of a little bit they're like um you know directionless yeah you know, they don't like they drop out of school uh you know really tough neighborhoods really tough neighborhoods they don't have the role models um, and they end up in gangs here so they end mm -hmm. up like because because like the only role models that they have here is like the kid that's like a few years older than them that's making money selling drugs um and then and then they end up doing that and so most end up in that there's a really good have you really did you ever watch um there's a really good netflix um there's a really good netflix show called uh, top boy yeah so it's a, it's a uk british like london thing but it's one of the most one of the most popular netflix uh series is really good it's basically about like east london they're called council estates they're kind of like the projects in you know but like council states so low income social housing yeah. um, a lot of immigrants that that kind of thing like um and um and then so the story of the top boy is about like the drug dealers in these areas and how they come you know how they navigate through and it's really interesting and then yeah. and then and then this is against the backdrop of all of these things that that we've been yeah. talking about in dni giving up i think it's a really like but I think you make such a good point. And I think that's, you know, why I always encourage people to lead with inclusivity and not necessarily divisive ideas, because in every society, you're going to find a, a, a specific nuance to who is disenfranchised at what point in time. And I think that, you know, you bring up a really good point. And like a lot of times it is socioeconomic, especially, you know, in certain places. And so the idea is one to recognize um, privilege and privilege in different places might mean different things. I mean, I think when you think about, it's a very, very hard word to talk about right now because I think that there's, the thing about privilege for at least something like that is, it's about walking into a room and not having anyone have a preconceived notion about you by the way that you look. Then there's all the things that we layer on top of that, which might then chip away at that idea of privilege. But it's the privilege of walking into a room and not being prejudged based on characteristics that you cannot control, right? I can't control I was born a woman. I can't talk about even the socioeconomic place because it doesn't matter. Like when a woman walks into a room, there's a lot of prejudgment happening, right? And then I have to prove myself, right? Then I then I start you start talking about your credentials, right? In the ways that we do and the signaling that we do. Um, so you know, I talk about my education and I start and then all of a sudden, like the 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 tenor might change. But that's when I think about privilege. It's just the privilege of not having to explain like just almost like in silence, right? Like this is what happens. And then all the pieces of our identity start to come together, right? But some of those things, like, we are just born into. And we are born into where, you know, we are born into many times our socioeconomic status. We're born into our race. We're born into our gender. We're born into our sexual orientation. Like, those are just table stakes, right? And that's where privilege comes in. It's just the privilege of of being able to pass, right? Like, if you were born into a low economic, socioeconomic status as a person, let's say a, a white male, and then you were able to move into other situations of power, right? Like your privilege is kind of that way that you move in the world.
So it's tough. Like I don't know that people need to hear this so much because it's 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 it it feels wrong to talk about, you know. But you know what though? I think today it's always good to talk about everything, but I think I think it's quite um there's a lot of um there's a lot of assumptions, aren't there? Like people assume yeah there's so many right they assume that people have privilege and they assume it's easier for people and and stuff and 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 actually like i think i mean there's some some truth to it depending on on what you know what the context is but also like a lot of it is quite individual isn't it it's like you know the so you're walking into the room i mean you know walking into a room is very nerve-wracking for everyone there's a there's a lot of like because also there's also a lot of like sort of internally happening right because you know yeah. who you are that's the thing Lewis. it's like you know who you are but no one else knows who you are until you start revealing parts of your identity so you are now given right if you have a certain like and that's that's the part that's so tricky right is you're not really always processing what someone is ha- what's happening internal so then none of this we can do much about like to your point we're born where we're born i'm born happened to be born in the uk first person in my family to be born in the uk happened to be jewish happened to this that that, that. none of that i can help right you're born where you're born your family history that da, 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 da. you you are where you are now the thing is the, the thing i'm interested in is okay so what are you going to do with the cards that you've been dealt yeah they put raining about someone else's hands because you can only control what you can control, right? I can only play my hands. That's kind of how I think of life, right? It's yeah. like I look around and, you know, I could rain about someone maybe having it better than me or like born into a whatever or like they went to private school, I didn't, or, you know, their parents are welfare. I, I don't know, God knows. I mean, there's a million things if I really wanted to, I could, I could like, I could burden myself with, with all of that. Or, which is, oh, I could choose not to. And I can just choose to do the best with what I've got. And and like what I said yesterday, you know, like look over my shoulder and make sure that I want to be yeah. a little bit better than yesterday. And I want to try and teach my kids that because I think it's really hard. Most people don't ever kind of, you never, most people I don't think get comfortable with that because you hear so much of the other thing. Yeah. Oh, they've got, you know, oh, they've got this and oh, it's so hard for me. And, you know, it's so I difficult. I do think, not to cut you off, oh, but no, I would no. say, I think that the things that we think about here in the U.S. might be different than the U.K. because things like equal access to education and healthcare are not a given. Those are things that come with privilege, Right. Um, and education comes with privilege. So if you look back at the historical educational system in the U.S., it was segregated. And so not everyone did have access to education. And that takes generations to rectify. So Cory Booker, who's a senator in the U.S., I remember him speaking. And he said, like, nothing that we do is not on the, on the, I don't want, I want to paraphrase here. But basically, you're stepping on the backs of the generations before you. And if that was... Like, so you and I, you know, yes, you know, I'm a child of a refugee. There's no reason I should be, in my mind, uh, like, I, I, I look at that and I think, of course, like, we all become ourselves given the opportunities that we have by the hand that we're dealt. Um, but that also makes me realize that 
the 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 equity that we see today is not equity if we look back in, and that's why we have to look into the past and i think that's why we have to look at the history so when you start looking at the past and the history you can start saying all right i kind of understand let's say a good example is like an educational requirement of an mba right you have to start looking at the educational past and history of someone who had access to getting that advanced education right and so that's why we are going to see probably disenfranchisement right oh are you on mute no 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 you're just like not no, I'm not like you're rifting. I don't want to break. I don't want to break your. Uh, yeah. So, but, but I'm just saying, like, I think that that might, you know, that could be a differentiator in terms of not necessarily like always being starting from the same, you know, from the same gate, so to speak. I don't think ever. I mean, I think I think one thing is that the world is not fair and never will be. And um, and we all start from different points, for sure. Like, to your point, you were born into where we're born. I think there's a lot of good work being done to, um, you know, on certainly in the US, like with the healthcare and all of those things, is to give people, um, I'd say, I, I know that the, the term leveling the playing field, although I don't really like that term. I like the term, like, everyone gets an opportunity to, to start on the start line, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. And And then, and then it's, you know, ability human skills you know all of these kind of things that that, that we talk about uh you know like even if it's just a basic like 100 meter race yeah you know, i could i, I want to line up against you saying oh i'm not going to beat the guy yeah. but i'm going to get so so i like that the other thing is i want to just the, the other thought is 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 also interesting it's like so so you always i'm moving into this is you always see i'm also um my dad was a refugee here as well actually well um but you have this immigrant mentality right like you see immigrants in different countries like a lot of them are entrepreneurial start businesses they want to contribute to the society that they've come to um and it's really interesting right but then you see like on the other side you see like you often see kids from really successful parents not do well mm -hmm. you see that a lot right like they've just got could be privileged but they've got what they've got resources they have money they have a safety net um they've had anything they want they haven't had to work for much they can go on holidays i, I mean you know i'm generalizing but but yeah it's just interesting i'm really interested in like in in that it's like you see look at some of the most successful people on the planet right now and so many of them have some crazy backstory yeah 100 percent. you know i've been thinking a lot about this this is probably a different rabbit hole but i've been thinking a lot about um interviewing like, why is that the standard to hire somebody? Just think of like, why is that the standard? Like, there's so many other data points, right, that could uh, predict how someone could perform in a role. And we are, like, just completely keyed into this idea of an interview. I meet you and I interview you. And we all have different definitions of that. But... But you wouldn't... But what, what would you do instead? Okay. I don't know yet, right? Like that's the blank space, right? So something that I think about is, <laughs> I haven't figured that out yet, Lewis. Let's figure that out though. But like references, right? Um, it feels better, right? To like understand where someone is coming from, how they've performed in certain areas, not to disqualify people, right? And I think that's part of the problem with interviewing is that we want like 
someone to be like a hundred percent. And like, we're, then we get to the point where we completely lost the fact that everyone is still developing. And it's like, what if we accept, you know, different data points, right? And then actually remember when someone's enrolled that they have development, you know, areas. I think when we talk about interviewing and we talk about someone coming to the table with all the right qualifications and pedigree and and that you you and I both have talked about that that is absolutely not a predictor necessarily of performance. Yeah. So again, I mean, this is a complete different conversation, but it feeds into this idea of how somebody shows up in an interview is not necessarily indicative or predictive of how they're going to perform in a in a role. Of course not. My wife had an interview today. She's super, super like doesn't like interviewing. Yeah. Um, and she's way better at her job than she is interviewing. She doesn't put up herself. It's a nerve wracking thing. It's a very unnatural scenario. It's like speed dating, right? Let's it's an unnatural it. scenario. Interviewing is speed dating, right? You're right. choosing to spend all of your life with someone based on our interview. It took me like a good six, seven years to propose to my wife. And it takes me a couple of hours to decide that, yeah, Jamie, let's let's do some stuff together and we're going to spend more time with each other working whatever than we would right? Yeah, right? Crazy. It's crazy. Um, I mean, hey, sometimes, great, just dive in and see what happens. Um, but I think I think the interviewing, the way people interview, I think is um, dreadful half the time because a lot of the interviews, some people, they just go, they go like, oh, tell me about yourself or let's go through your resume and whatever. Dreadful, right? For me... So the interesting thing about the resume is that people can like, well, you're not hiring a piece of paper, you're hiring a human for the first part. But a lot of the thing with the resume is that people can lie on the resume or they can embellish the story. I can't remember who said this, but someone said, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. You know, like you can kind of create whatever you want on that resume and stuff like that. Separately to that with references is that people like social proof. You see it online all the time, right? Like you go and buy a pair of trainers, You'll check out the reviews uh, or if you want to join a company you might check out Glassdoor, whatever right i mean so you know a lot of often people like to write negative stuff on that but anyway people like social proof right that's why testimonials are really good um and so forth so if you put if you put the referencing with the 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 flaws in a resume right mm -hmm. i think we're using technology right i reckon i can see i can see something in a few years time where we're using blockchain so with blockchain it's an auditable, like uncorruptible chain, right? So imagine if I, I did work for you, I did some programming for you and I did a project for three months, it'll be on the blockchain. Mm. So confirmed that I did work for you. You also then write me a reference on there too. How did Lewis do? So suddenly I've got, I'm building like a digital resume, uneditable, uncorruptible, verifiable, and so, so that I think is really interesting. And then suddenly I'm like, okay, so who's Lewis? Oh, right. Okay. And then you can see, you've seen all of the different stuff. Um, I think that that could happen at some point in, in the near future. And I think the, the interview, I still think there's a human element because I, I, um, I want to surround myself with like awesome, lovely people. Right. Like, I don't want to just be speaking to anyone like, like this. I only want to be speaking to people I like. Yeah. So I think there's a, like, I, you know, like I want to, life's short. Yeah. I want to live it every day. And if I'm speaking to people, like I'm invest my time in everyone that we have. And. Yeah. I think yeah. we have a common language though. So 
you and I are very similar in that way. Um, so I think that there's maybe a negative connotation to the word interview, and maybe it's just building a different framework. Um, I think we oftentimes go into this process thinking of all the ways to keep somebody out. And, you know, I think one of the things that I've thought about in all these years is it's yes. It, it's yes on both. So I always tell candidates it's yes until someone says no. Let's assume it's a yes. And I think it shifts the intention of the process away from I'm screening you out to it's your job and my job together because I want you to stay. Like I was built in a recruiting world where I was really motivated and quite honestly compensated for people to stay in their role. And so I built my whole process around making sure that I was, you know, shining a flashlight and helping other people shine a flashlight into all the ways that something could or wouldn't, you know, work out. And so it became less about, let me interview to get the job. And I specifically don't over prep. I specifically don't give people a cheat sheet because I don't want people to get the job. I want yeah. people to find a place where they're going to have impact for the amount of time that they anticipate having impact. And so if somebody is really into impact and being in a role two to three years, let's be clear and honest about that instead of holding it against somebody and saying like, this person's really great at scaling a business and we should have really strong expectations around that. And let's have a, an honest conversation around that versus the interview, right? The tell, you know, tell me this. And because I think, again, going back to the DEI conversation, we're immediately going to, uh, people in a natural situations and unless they're really good at interviewing which you don't necessarily want people to be good at interviewing because that shouldn't be a skill that we're good at right um you're really trying to get at the heart of what somebody can do and so i just think it's about reframing the language and like working towards yes and then giving candidates the chance to say no we're always like we get them so excited about this like finish line right but the finish line is not getting the job you know the finish line is like being in the job yeah, that's true. That's true. It's true. It's um, it's right person for the right job. I'm like, I quite like, I think this happened when we were talking, right? Because it was, I quite like, um, I quite like giving candidates or certainly advising clients to, and if we're home for ourselves, giving them like the space to ask the questions they want to ask. I think you can find out way more about someone by the questions they ask than by regurgitating you know, interview prep stuff. I mean, it's for me, it's irrelevant. It's like, I like them. I like to let people interview me. Like, what, what do you want to know? Or what's, you know, um, and, and you can tell a lot about someone like that. And then I think you can then, then you can, I think, see if it, if there's a fit. I quite like that. Cause it's a two way, a two way street. Um, I think that's a good way. I mean, ultimately you do have to decide and, and you have to decide like, do you want to spend part of your life with someone, you know, so and then so for that we are human so there's always going to be this thing of like feeling of like i like you i want to work with you or yeah. i really don't like that person so well, what like but digging into that is it like shared goals shared vision so it's like i think less about yeah likability maybe because sometimes like people it depends on the job right? so i definitely put the job i mean i think it's yeah definitely like a lot of people want to you know, be aligned to a goal, like the team knows where they're headed. Um, and um, there's an altruistic thing as well, like people want to do good in the world and make money. 
um, you know, that can go hand in hand. So like for me, you know, I get the, I get both from doing this because I, I get to make money and I like business and stuff. And then what we do is help people find jobs ultimately. Yeah. Right. And which then they make money and they're able to do the things they might want to do. And so I like, I like that. And then work is a thing you do most. So, you know, people are happy in a job. It gives you a little bit of a, that warm, fuzzy feeling inside. Yeah. So you get like, the, I, I get this kind of like two, uh, two thing, but there is, yeah. I mean, look, so for, I don't know, for some job, you need someone with different personality than someone else. But, but if working with someone like directly together, whether it's a teammate, whether you're interviewing your future leader to join them or a team member, whatever, there is definitely like a thing about like, you want to like respect, I, I don't know what the right word is, but yeah. yeah, like, I think there is something about, well, not even like, well, it could be like, it's like, it's, it could be. You're assessing, well, I think you're, what you're, what, what you could even zoom out and say, you're assessing for something, right? So for some people, like I know for, for me, but I, I mean, I like everybody. So I have to have a different standard because <laughs> I can like everybody. There is a little respect thing. It's not, wow, I think that person is wonderful at the job. I'm going to learn. I think mean, competence is something competence I love. Competence is very important. Yeah, absolutely. so important, right? Like how competent uh, do you feel that this team is to support you in this job that you're doing or, you know, the other uh, so, but you could also say, okay, I'm, I'm going into a team that's maybe not high performing. So I have to assess for how reasonable is my leadership team in allowing me to make changes. So I think to your point, listening to people's questions and trying to understand what they're assessing for is really critical because that likability can translate into, I want to work for a team that's going to give me resources. So that can be like top of mind and that might make you know, someone more likable if they're willing to share resources. So I think the likability quotient comes in into different competency that someone's looking for. Because I think a lot of times when someone's looking to leave a role, there's something that they're missing, right? Like there's something that they're looking for. And it's usually not a lot of things that need to be different, right? Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a lot of stuff. I think there's there's also the, um, yeah, there's the, there's the likability thing. There's also the, yeah, the learning, the platform, the resources, the, there's a lot of aspects to go into it for sure. There's a lot of, but there's a lot, of, a lot of them you put down to, there's a lot of human skills stuff. Yeah. You know, like someone who's empathetic, um, competent in their job. Yeah. Uh, you respect them. They're a good leader. Things yeah. like that. There's a lot of, I think a lot of it's human. Yeah. Isn't it? Well, like when you think about empathy as a leader, you know, I think that becomes really important, not just to be an empathetic leader to your team, but, you know, that idea of psychological safety and the idea of being able to admit when you need more resources is really hard for a lot of people, especially leaders, right? Like it's extremely hard to be vulnerable and have to ask uh, for things. And so you tend to take on more yourself and, you know, obviously you don't take on too much. You could lead to burnout. And so I think, you know, if I'm someone assessing a role, I want to look up that leadership chain, right? And try to get a sense of the empathy, uh, not just from like a personal standpoint, but like 
are you empathetic to the business? Is the business going to have time to grow? Am I going to have the right, you know, measurement in place? Have you already committed me to certain KPIs that I wasn't told about? And I start on day one and all of a sudden I have 10 goals I didn't agree to. I could like you plenty in the interview process, but if I haven't assessed your character, if I haven't assessed your integrity or all those things, like you can miss a lot. Yeah, no, that's what I mean about that. All, all together means, yeah, so maybe likes the wrong word, but... No, so maybe, I think like is the right word, but you have to like maybe certain aspects of. Yeah. And also the other thing is, um, did you ever, um, there's a Simon, Simon, Simon Sinek. Uh, he does a great talk. He mentions the, the American, you know, the, um, the will and skill. Have you heard that um, analogy? So, so basically it's, yeah. a, it's the American army. It's like the American army. I've seen it. Yes. Yeah. So, Amer so like, so the American army is like, I think it, it was like, um, so it's will and skill. Right. So you really like the ideal hire is someone who's high will, high skill. Yeah. But, um, but, um, the, so that's the ideal. Now you'd much rather hire someone, hire someone who's high will, medium skill than someone who's high skill, low will. Right. Yeah. It's like you just, so, so it's also like you want to find people that are going to be but using an American, like the, the army analogies, like, as you want to be someone, work with someone who will be there for you in the trenches when the going gets tough. They're not going to be running off, you know, they're there with you when it's tough because business is tough, up, down, it's difficult yeah. moments, you know, like it's starting off difficult, suddenly it's going to get incredibly busy and then in inadvertently or there'll be tough moments again where, you know, the economy drops or there's no way around, you know, and you want to be, so, so there's that, like for me, it's like, I want to work with people that have like high motivation but you can trust them. So the American army one is trust. It's yeah. like, will you let, would you let them, I think their analogy was, would you let them look after your wife? And if the answer is yes, they're high trust. That was the American army analogy. I mean, not my analogy. Yeah. But you well, know, like. Interesting. It's like, but we right now, we have this interview reference, like model, right? And I just wonder if we scramble that a little bit and just, you know, with everyone knowing, you know, I would, I love talking and checking references and saying like, we're going to hire Lois. There's no question about that. So I just want to understand when they get in the door, like, here's what we have going on, you know, as a former leader, like, how would you advise that I lead Lois through? These are some of the transformations that are happening in our business right now. And we want them to be successful. It's coming from a much better place of like goodwill than like, I'm trying to find something wrong. They're, they're going to find something wrong with everything everyone's performance right no one is always firing 100 percent of the time yeah, yeah of course what i'm interested in is so which i think actually we should do we should do a separate thing on this actually is is so like there's certain things that we probably agree on are decent indicators of someone doing well like you know high motivation trustworthiness reliability certain other things probably things but the hard thing is like how do you interview for that how can you meet someone for an hour and come out of saying oh my god like she's super motivated now i have to say i i think that about i thought that about you i'm like wow she's like next level right now i only because i felt that from you like i've felt it you know yeah. like felt the you're motivated you want to do well in life and all of the things like that and then so that's what i thought i never did i didn't know i thought yeah i thought i knew but you never know and then as we've as we've got to know each other uh, better the last like month then you find out through the conversations like these conversations that we're having now yeah very quickly find out i think 
about people from these kind of things yeah. uh, and then it, and then it quickly like confirms or not so yeah. <laughs> it so, could be the or not more than confirmed with you because I, I i still think this i think exactly i would same. say like you had some other data points too right that may be like we're so the other data points for, for you absolutely yeah, yeah so i had my own because i you know like i've always I'd, I'd i'd been chasing you for a while right so to speak like you should come you should come and, um so i've always got that feeling for me but then you're right as i you, did as well so yeah but then i also knew some people uh and then obviously i knew a couple of people that you'd worked with who yeah. then obviously confirmed and etc so but for someone advice for someone interviewing that doesn't know someone before how would you go about like how would you find out i mean i think that's the portfolio of your network right i think that we oftentimes are trying to unbias the process and so i think you need to do it with you know eyes wide open and just say to be honest like if you had said to me jamie it's been great talking to you like i feel like you need to be to be successful here you need to be really self-driven and really self-motivated and I could say yes, yes, yes. Um, and you could say, that's amazing. You know, go out, talk to some of the people that you've worked with, find someone that's been in this environment. You know, when I've been at companies, I could talk to someone who's here already, like let them, you know, and then it opens up the conversation to other people. And so I could say, listen, um, offer up earlier, right? Here, talk to this person. Or, you know, you can also trust people then to be more, self-directed. If you're really self-directed, I might come back to you and say like, Louis, you know what? I talked to three people in my network who've been in this environment. You know, that's what I did. I went and talked to people that were in search. I went and talked to people like who'd been in my role. And um, so there's also that evidence as well. I think that's what it is. I think it's just looking for evidence and just using the process more as like evidence and data gathering versus like an in or out kind of like. But what about for the client, for the hiring manager? So it's a definitely I agree. I would, yeah. I would like, I, I, the approach is bang on. I thought like you want to do your due diligence, right? So as a candidate, like you, like you did, you go and speak to as many people as you can, uh, as many people that you might work with, yeah. um, externally, the whole thing. If you're hiring for someone, how would you then, cause sometimes it's tricky because if someone's employed and you're headhunting them. Right. They're very instance, disinterested. Yeah. Like, let's say, you know, you're hiring a CMA. And they're in, they're in a perfectly good job. They're not expecting a phone call, but they get the call from Jamie. Hey, you sell them the dream, right? You planted the seeds and they're actually, yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll yeah. Then they start going through the interview process and, and they get more and more interested in whatever. Now, it's, it's quite tricky then for the, the hiring manager or the search firm or whoever, you know, is running it to start taking references because the person has not even left, left the job, right? I mean, it's not, you just can't do that, right? Well, I think that's where we play an incredible role on building that portfolio of somebody. Like it's much different if we can say, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, we can bring to the table is like, we've worked with Jamie. She's a former client. She's a former, like, I think that's part of our job as well to actively know the people that we're presenting or to say to a client or hiring manager, listen, I've just engaged with Jamie for the first time. You know, we're getting to know her at the same time that you're getting to know her. So we have to treat, you know, this process a bit differently, not unequitably, right? I think the idea is to get everyone to the same point. So I might say to somebody who's a CMO, well, listen, 
there's no question, right? If you have the right company, the right brand, it's a dream company, there's a conversation to be had. You just have to be really honest with everybody and say, this is where we're at. Lewis is like 98% not interested, but is open to having the conversation. Yeah. Have that conversation, you know, get a little bit more information, but don't put all your eggs in that basket. Like we really, and that's the difference of executive recruiting for the long term. Like it's going to take, you know, sometimes years to really get to know somebody. And that's patience that we have to be able to share with our clients. So we just have to be honest with our hiring managers. Like, I don't know Jamie or I do, or I know Jamie from this, you know, like you give people context of where they're coming from. And they might say, you know what? I actually know someone that Jamie worked with. Like, I'd be interested in talking to them. I'd be like, yeah, but just let them know you're reaching out because no one wants a backdoor reference, right? So, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's- Yeah, it's great. Meeting a different process. Yeah, yeah. No, no, for sure. And and that, that's absolutely, I mean, that's what we- that's what we pay to do ultimately. I think sometimes we oversell maybe people that we don't know that well. And I think that's dangerous. Yeah. I try and avoid the word sell because I don't want to, because um, I think for us, like we do, obviously we're doing retained search. So we're, we're I, I view it as an extension of the firm's HR function or whatever, right? So, and, I, and I always think, it, I always view it as like a team game to find and attract the right people. And, and to your point, it's like the right person for the right job. So I try, and, and so for me, it's more around, um, maybe you'd call it selling, maybe it's softer sell. I don't know what you'd call it. But for me, it's like really trying to match aspirations of an individual to the story of the company. And is that, is it right for the next chapter? I like think of it as like storytelling. And I think it's important to be really open and, and honest about what the opportunity is and what it's going to be like and the chat, you know, all of these things so that, that they can both make the yeah. right decision. Um, if it's, if it's, if it's too overly sold, cause I, I hear a lot, I hear it a lot. It's like, Hey, you know, actually I'm open to new opportunities and you're like, okay, how come? Well, you know, the job wasn't quite as described or the job was missold. You know, like the, I think there's a lot of like of this like misselling, and it's not always really what it's like. And so sometimes the hiring managers and recruiters and whatever they're just they're trying to get someone in. They've got they, they they need to fill a job, right? I mean, there's a reason why they're hiring this person. Um, so they 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 try and like they get in and hire, and maybe a little bit more care is required because the worst is if it doesn't work out, yeah. right? Because you have to. It, it really is. But I think, you know, one of the things that I think about a lot is just being really um, upfront. I think, look, there's a time where we storytell because we're trying to unlock something, right? And so we're trying to unlock a business opportunity and someone may not see it, right? They just may not see it because, you know, we all are human and job descriptions are not great, you know, that we can't possibly, like a human doesn't exist in a resume, a job description doesn't just, you know, exist on paper, but I, I guess what I'm thinking is, you know, the interview process is, it, it's just so openly one-sided yeah. in so many ways. And this idea that it becomes a conversation of, yes, you know, like we are going out and headhunting people and it can feel very exciting. And then all of a sudden you're in a assessment process that you weren't prepared for. So if that's how it's going to be, you could say to a candidate, listen, right now it's an exploratory conversation, but you know, this is how the process is from an assessment perspective. 
And then people can decide whether they want to go through it or not. The last thing you want is somebody to, you know, go through a process and we haven't done the due diligence, right? And it's just at the end of the day, I think less about interviewing and more about all the things that you're saying, like finding the right match. And I don't know. I don't know. What the, I don't know. It feels like a blank slate. It feels like there could be something else out there. It just... It feels like we're trying. It just feels like that all the interviewing tips and tricks out there are so derivative, and you're just yeah, like, no, you're right, no, you're right. We look, we've tried the psychometrics. People have gamified recruiting. You know, there's a there's an app called Knack, K N A C K, really good Indian firm, uh, and you play games, and it pops out your personality profile. I, I mean, I don't. I think people have been flowed on personality questionnaires, on psychometrics. So, um, some firms like them, some people don't. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, there's probably, there should be, it feels like there should be a better way. But then also, there's this thing about people, like, you need just the vibes matter. I still go back to, like, vibes do matter. And some, like, there's, there's, a, there's, there's some, there's still, it's still part of it. But I think that everything you're saying is correct and if you document all of your data points and you really looked at it in a picture, you'd be like, uh, okay, I see why the vibes were on because they really assessed uh, us really well. Like you said, like, how can a hiring manager, you know, I really look at how somebody is asking questions, you know, like, are they doing their research? Are they thinking like, I love when a candidate is already thinking about how they're going to help the business. Yeah. You know, like you can tell that their wheels are already turning. And so I think like just documenting all the data points and saying like really great conversation on this and just like looking at the whole person and the whole picture and saying like, you know, like 13 out of 15 data points were great. So you could get like a bad, like not a bad reference, right? Like maybe you got a reference on me and you're like, okay, but you're putting that on a, you're putting that in a, in a landscape and you're painting a picture. You're not just like using what and i think that's the part with personality tests or all those things like you don't want to use one data point to exclude yeah. someone from a, from a process no, i think you're right i think you're right the actual also the other thing is the last thing because we're actually we've, i know we're very over sorry, sorry. no no i love it i love it i love it amazing what happens when you press record right um, <laughs> it's great uh recording? we're still recording i had an interview uh yesterday for this job um this independent non-executive director job and um and it was it was interesting because um it was three people and me on video so it's quite difficult with three on video because they're quite sure to talk to and yeah. everyone's on mute and the camera out in this like you know so anyway but if we were there know. we would have you know we would have advised we would have advised to do one-on-one -on -one. <laughs> i would have advised to do one-on-one -on -one. you can build up a better relationship with someone i think so um and it, but it's, it's quite it was quite interesting because I, you know, you advise people on approach and prepare, but there's nothing quite like going through it yourself. And I, and I've come, I've come prepared. Like, let me tell you, I mean, I couldn't really turn up without, but although I know I do, I mean, I'm, I'm very like, I quite like, certainly on these, when we're doing like, when I'm doing podcasts and things like that, I love free flow conversation. But I think in, in an interview, it's important to, to prepare questions. So I'm trying to find them as I'm speaking. Uh, I can't find them. Anyway, so the, 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 the person interviewing me, the chair lady, um, she was like, yeah, so she's like, she set the tone actually really well. So I'm going to ask you some questions. I want to find out a bit about you, how you think. Um, the questions might be a little bit abstract, where I was like, great, no problem. 
Um, and then, and then I'm going to give you a chance to ask questions. So it was really nice actually. And then, so it was basically the two of us, the other two were, um, um, like participants or bystanders almost, they were probably writing notes and stuff. And then it was like, do you have any questions? And it was great because I'd had all the questions on the phone. So I had on my phone, I'm like, yeah, I've got loads. And I started scrolling, <laughs> scrolling. Yeah. Um, but anyway, my point to that was it was, um, it was a really good vibe. Like we vibed at the beginning. Now um, we're human and we're biased. And if you like someone, you're finding every reason to hire them. I'm not saying this is the right thing, but I think this is actually what happens, right? Um, so in it, and so and so the, the whole scenario was really nice. And we asked questions to each other, and it was a lovely scenario. And I'm going to find out whether I get appointed or not. There was a thing done in England in a bank about I can't remember eight years ago, and there was a video in the room, and the interviewer was asked to interview two candidates, and they knew that they had an, uh, a camera. It was a bank. So like imagine banking 10 years ago in London, it was like these people were going to sleep in their ties, right? Like waistcoats, like the whole, like just Don, you know, like Don Draper style, you know. Um, so this first person came in and, um, and he was wearing jeans and trainers. So he comes in and they did the interview. Fine. Next person comes in in a suit and a tie. Did the interview so and then and then video stopped and then the guy was interviewed afterwards and cameras like so who who did better second guy and they were like oh, how come oh. the way they answered the questions was impeccable answers were perfect just you know like clearly killed it so so they were like okay cool no problem let's play the videos back and they played the videos back the guy couldn't believe it because actually first guy killed it the ones in the jeans and t-shirt he's into his answers were like a star the guy the guy that this guy wanted to hire in the seat into the answers actually were really bad what was interesting was that the content of the answers doesn't really matter a lot of the time right it was like the first impression the vibe and then a lot of the time also it's how you say something rather than what you say you know? I was just going to say, like, yeah, if they set, like, in your experience, they set the tone. And then the way that you, knowing you and knowing how, and you're like, I'm game, it's like game over, right? Because it doesn't matter, because what you found in that scenario is Lewis is going to work well within the gray. He's going to be prepared. We can throw him into any situation. Everything after that <laughs> is just either, you know, confirm, like you said, that confirmation bias. I think there's opportunities the longer conversation goes to make missteps, right? So we talk a lot about length of interview, like how long can you go before you say something, right? Like how many times does someone end an interview and you're like, it was going really well until da 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 da. And so it's probably the same way we write, right? Like the introduction is really powerful. The middle is like, blah, blah, blah. and then the end and the closing is really what people remember. And then I also think like in some way, the situation you described about the bank, the bank scenario reminds me a little bit about how RTO is shaping up. RTO being? Return to office. The idea that you can be in an office becomes all consuming so much more than the content of the work that potentially you're producing. Like yeah. that becomes the competency. So the competency at the bank is how you dress and present not how you speak and answer questions. The competency of RTO is how close you are to an office and how willing you are to spend time here. 
That's the competency. Yeah. We're going to do a whole thing on that because my last two TikTok videos have gone crazy and they're both about return to office and remote work and work from home and the whole thing. Um, I think it's interesting. I actually also just, um, there's, I mean, maybe it's all about real estate and you want people in the real estate and you can kind of find. The other thing is it's really quite different to lead a, if you're not used to it, leading a team, managing people, whatever, that um, in your like facility. Like, um, yeah, it's difficult. And that people aren't necessarily trained or mentally very difficult. Um, yeah, like for me, even like pre-2020, everyone was in London. But everyone, well, I had one person in America because we set up in New York in 2019. So, so one person, but pre-2019, my whole career, uh, I was in an office, like turning up at 8.30, not leaving until 6. Um... And, and that was it, classic, five days a week, five days a week. My, my boss, one of the first things my boss said to, to me, it was like, you can go out and you can get wasted, but whatever you do, turn up at 8.30. That was like the, that was the thing in London because it was like culture of drinking in London. It's, it's kind of petered a little, but it's still there, I think. Um, anyway, and then suddenly we've gone fully, like fully remote and we have people like from Mumbai to San Francisco, everyone in between. And my whole thing changed, like my whole thing changed. It's different now. I'm like trusting people off the bat. People are working in different moments, different times, doing different things. I mean, I'm, I'm more uh, more into output than time. I mean, you know, more for me if it takes me ten hours to do something, it takes you one hour to do. You know, um, and then and then our game, our game is like, you know, ultimately with search works, it's winning searches, it's placing candidates, it's great feedback, repeat business and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's been really interesting, and a lot of people like it's just it's a very like they can't, I don't know, can't grow up. It's different. It's no, different. but you make a really good point. And, you know, having, and this is a different conversation and I know we're over. And so, and I don't know if any of this would be usable, but I do think. I think a lot is usable. You made a great point, right? About output. In some organizations, the competency hasn't been output, right? They have, like, determining a KPI is extremely difficult. And being able to showcase where someone is attributable to their effort is extremely complicated. So you have to have, you know, a much different model where the competency to your point is showing up in office and participating and participation potentially was the output. And then we all work from home and we have no way to measure true output because now we're looking at a very different skill set. I think one of the- with what we do, it's much clearer, right? Like ours, can, ours is clear. Yeah, ours clear. is really clear. Yeah. Like you, you know, I can make all the effort in the world, but we all know what the output needs to be. And then it's a different skill set, how you manage your time, then it really doesn't matter. Because if you told me to sit at my desk eight and a half hours a day, you can't guarantee I'm going to have the output that I would have if I was doing different activities, right? Like we can have, so it's, it's, it's a much more uh, interesting environment for me to explore. And I think that's what people are, Lou talked about this earlier, like the yeah. idea of the startup mentality, the idea of like using your agency to choose how you're going to spend your time because you know yourself best. Yes. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's, and um, I mean, it's having clear like, outputs. Yeah, like some people are more productive in the morning, some in the evening. You know, they call them like morning, um, night owls and larks. 
like larks appear morning people and you know like you hear people saying i'm really good in the morning others are like no no, no i'm way better at night i can't get up in the morning and stuff um it's a thing I've, i read this book called why we sleep by matthew walker it got it uh, read i listened to why we sleep by matthew walker um you should have you listened to that no that? but i've read the science of when by daniel pink and it's very similar in terms of our yeah rhythm oh, we all have our own circadian rhythm right yeah circadian rhythm and it's a real thing so given that why why would i want to box people into like an old school factory era where you're tapping in at a certain time yeah. and tapping out i, I actually i I'm, I'm only concerned with you you do it you well being happy and doing well i think it goes hand in hand but you want people that obviously are going to do well but also you want happy people too because i think there's there's a lot to be said for both so and that is I'm and then happy. i'm very happy so that's the first part so we've got and then and now we're going to make you successful together right it's a team game but also but the work style to that to that point is is um you're able to construct if you're able to i think like younger folks it doesn't work might not work as well because you know now because you've worked for a while where um like when you're most productive and how to manage yourself and yeah. you know like you kind of like you've you've learned all of that stuff from working yeah. so um and so i think hopefully you'll be able to now like once you get used to it you, you mean you're an adult like you can manage yourself and know when you're more productive and balancing all the different things you've got going on in your life and so i think that's a really nice place to get to because that's proper work-life integration right oh it's incredible and it's not something i've ever it's it means something i absolutely thought was potential but now i see it as a real possibility and i would say your life can feed your work and i think that that's a scary concept when people think that you can't extricate yourself from your work day um but i think in the right balance it can be really powerful to you know like to your point we think everything you know we, we're taught a certain thing everything has to happen in half hour increments you know, we're just given all of these blueprints. And I think one of the things that I love about our conversations is like, how do you reframe the conversation? And you said something yesterday, it's about like, if you're doing these activities, right? So it's really about these activities will generate a flywheel effect for potential outcomes, right? Um, but, but sitting at your desk and pondering, you know, what to do is probably not the most energy producing way to, you know, get the right output. So it's more about what are those activities that create optimal outcomes and not everyone's going to have the same ones but i think that's something that i think the return to office conversation is not exploring because it's really not the point right now right the the the, the balance of power has shifted and it'll shift again right and we'll ha be having a different conversation as the economy changes as the talent market changes right so this is yeah. cyclical. this I mean, conversation will not be happening in the same way in, in two years. I don't think. No, no, no. Everyone will be back in the office five days a week, right? And then something will happen, right? And then a company will come along, an industry will come along that's going to be super flexible and really investing in not work. So I think there's something out there about creating, people want to work productively from home. Oh my gosh, this is such a tangent. I could, oh, let's, well, I'll stop. <laughs> I could, I'm like, wait, I think you're onto something, which is creating the workday in such a way that as people are working from home, 
they really understand the outputs that are expected of them. And then it becomes less about uh, the eight and a half hour workday and more about time management. We should be teaching that early on. To and it's actually, I'm going, even going to just expand it slightly. It's not really work from home, it's work from anywhere. It's work from anywhere. Wow. Isn't it? I still don't like, I work remote, but I, you'll like, I still haven't even. You can work from anywhere. Like, like literally you can work from anywhere you want. You can choose to go to a coffee shop for two hours in the morning. If you wanted to, you can just work from your home office. You can go into New York. When you come to London, you're going to work in London. No one really cares. No, no one you work with really cares where you are. And none of your customers really care where you are. They just care that the output is going to come right. You're going to find them awesome folks and they're the right fit and they trust you and the whole thing. So it's crazy. I still, I mean, by the way, just for anyone that was going to watch this with this, like this snippet, it's, uh, it's, there's no lack of motivation or ambition or anything like that. You know, like some people mistake it for that. And I think sometimes hundred yeah. percent. it's like, it's, 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 uh, it's just, a, it's, uh, I think it's just, uh, it's a better way of working because also, um, you've got to be in the game for a long time to do well. Like you got like in, in sport, you have to be on the pitch. If you're not on the pitch playing, then you know, so you've got to, you've got to treat yourself in the right way. So that's all the, like the, the, you know, the, the exercise, integrating your life work, um, you know, all also working like this, you'll find, I think there's less chance of burning out because you have other things going on and all of that stuff transitioning to that is really interesting because i still feel guilty if i'm like not sticking to my 830 to 16 like it's really funny like even now because it's so ingrained um and i like work long hours right like i'm working a lot but i don't feel like it's i'm lucky i found like something that i love and it feels funny it feels good you know Thank you.